Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, I don't know if Jordan even knows this, but so I come to Texas Tech, um, and I'm kind of wanting to follow Jesus, but I don't know how to. And when I say kind of, like I am on the verge of, potentially I don't want to follow Jesus. Um, and I didn't have anyone in my life at the time that was my age that actually um, actually followed him the way we profess to actually want to, right? We uh, were a bunch of kids that loved Jesus, but can I not give him all my life? And Shrebeck was one of two guys in my life at the time that actually 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 followed what he believed, like believed it and actually doubled down. Now, he was weird, so I didn't know if I wanted to be a Christian still because of that. He was a strange dude, but um, God did get a hold of my heart. So, uh, Redeemer Midland, thank you for letting me be here today. It's a, it's a joy. My name's Peyton Barons. I'm from Brady. I'm from Brady. Went back and planted Redeemer um, Church in Brady in 2014. I have four kids. I don't know if you have a picture of that or not. I have a family, a wife that's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here's my crew right now. We played our first flag football game yesterday, and I kid you not, at 1.30 last night, I was still struggling with some things that happened in that game. Um, and, and I'm not exaggerating. I was struggling. So uh, I potentially want to go back home um, to Brady tonight, and some elders are going to get a hold of me from how I responded and acted to the refs that day. So this is where we're at. But is there anything more rewarding and exhausting than being a parent? So I absolutely love it. Uh, but Bray, Texas is where we are actually planted in. Um, if you are um, a small town guy, I, I love rural ministry. I love it. I'm actually um, a, an incredible fan of planting churches in small town. I'm the regional um, director for Acts 29 for Ruler Directive, and it, which means this. If you're from a small town, and I'm, gonna, I'm throwing this out there, right? You're from a small town, and you have a place that you love, um, and you want to plant a church, or you know someone that wants to plant a church in that town, will you let me know about that? I am all for planting churches in small, unforgotten areas. And, and what was told to me in the middle, in 2013, when we were about to go back and plant by another small town planter, he goes, hey man, you've got to be okay that if you knock it out of the park, no one will ever know your name. And, and the truth be told, I went, giddy up, man. Let's, let's do this. Uh, the small town ministry is, is, there's a beauty in it because you really do have a chance to impact an entire culture. Um, you have a chance to change the trajectory of a town. And that's not, a, it's not an exaggeration. It, it's true, but it's messy and it's gritty just like anywhere. Uh, but there's some really beautiful things to it. Uh, I've never preached a message in seven years at Redeemer Brady that multiple people in the audience haven't spanked me as a child. Right? Multiple people in the audience. About five years ago, uh, the, my principal that gave me three licks in eighth grade uh, I got to lead him down to the San Saba River and baptize him, right? I held his butt under a little bit, though, right? I <laughs> wasn't going to put up with much, but that was three days before his 77th birthday. 
And in my story of church planting in a small town, in my small town, man, has been one of just God's grace and, and, and just him showing off. Uh, some heartache in the midst of that, which all church plants go through, but a lot more of God's grace. And when I think of Redeemer Midland, uh, this is y'all's story as well, it seems like. From afar, I've watched this thing, um, and it just seems God's grace upon grace upon grace. So let's go before the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 73, where we'll be today. But let me, let me pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We are so thankful for the privilege of, of hearing uh, the heralding of the good news, Lord. So thankful for the privilege, Lord, to um, a sinner just in desperate need of your grace to get to be up here and proclaim the goodness uh, that you've changed lives and you're in the business of doing that still. We love you, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so I believe you're going through the, the book of Psalms. And the Psalms, are a, there's a real beauty in the Psalms that um, they're, they're, they're writing to the saints before us. It really peers, it gets us to, to look back into these saints before us as, as they went under um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but how they prayed and how they fought for, um, for the for walk with the Lord, how they sung and how they think and how they dealt with um, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of pain, in all circumstances. If you read the Psalms, you get to see what the saints before us actually did in the midst of, of the, the messiness of life. And, and one of the things that I love about the scriptures is the way it puts everything out on the table. I mean, the beauty of the Word of God is there's multiple things in your Bible that if you and I were trying to be strategic in, in how we operated for someone to follow our way, there's multiple things in here that we would say, let's leave out. It's not helpful to the cause, right? But the Word of God doesn't. They, they put everything in there, every doubt, every, every envy, every lust, all the weirdness of the Scriptures and the beauty of it is just thrown in there for you and I to push through. And there's a help in the Scripture. And today what we're looking at is just this real beauty of what to do in the, in the season of doubt. In the season of, of messiness and the season of what this looks like to follow Jesus when, when maybe our theological mind is there but our heart has yet to catch up, what we're going to see in Psalm 73 is this beautiful picture of, of actually dying to oneself and delighting in the things of the Lord. That following Jesus, and, and, and if you're a young believer, if you're not a believer in here this morning, or if you're listening online on this, if following Jesus was never, never meant to be this ease of life, but one of, of heartache and pain, and you get Jesus in the midst of it, right? So this is what we get in Psalm 73, you can turn in your Bibles. The writer of Psalm is, is Asaph. And what we see is that he is struggling with doubt, he is struggling with pain, and, and he's, how he is going to deal with this. And you need to know if you come in here today with doubt, and the question is, is God real, or is God good, can he be good? Hey, hear me say, God is not scared of that question, he is, he is, you're, not, you're not ousted out because that you got some real issues that you're dealing with in this season, when I talk to people all the time that are in the midst of struggling with doubt, I, I, that's a lot better of a spot 
than the good old boy Christianity of West Texas that goes, hey, man, I, I vote red, and I drive a pickup truck, and so I, I, I think I'm good. Like, I, I care, I, I feel a whole lot more nervous for those than the men and women that go, man, I am struggling with some things in this scripture, and I'm struggling with how my life lines up with the word of God in this season. And you need to understand, God is not calling you to never doubt, but he's calling you to actually deal with it, to not stay in it. You don't have to avoid your doubt, but please do not be content in the midst of it. So what we get today is a saint that's gone before us, that has hit rock bottom. I mean, if you, it, when they're reading that, it, there's a, a weight and a heaviness that already starts happening, but he's hit rock bottom, and how he's going to crawl his way out of it is what we're going to get to watch. In this terrible season, God's going to reach down, he's going to go after this man named Asaph. Psalm 73, verse 1, says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogance, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It starts off, that, that it starts off with uh, what he's believing here. He starts off with his, his head is there. I know God is good. I know he exists. I, I know I think he can be trusted. So his head is in the spot. Like, I hear he, who he is. He's the God of Israel. I know he can be trusted on this. And in verse 2, it says, but my heart does not fully buy in. My head is there. And listen, this is a story of my life at times, right? That, that I don't go, no, no. I, I know, God, who you are. But man, I am, I am three steps behind here in this heart. I am working through this, and we have this man that goes, man, I'm, I, my heart does not fully buy in. My mind says God is good. He can be trusted. My heart says, no, maybe you can't. In verse 2, it says, his feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. This is not just a bad day he's having, Right? This is not, I'm having a hard time. This is the rock that was underneath me has, has, has been shaken to the point that I don't know if I can stand. What, something has taken place in this man's heart that he goes, man, that who is this king that I follow? In the background of Asa, who he was, he was a priest. He, 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 wrote, um, over, he wrote 12 other psalms. A great leader of the faith, a man that, that loved the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's hanging on by a thread, it seems like. All of a sudden, there's a real struggle in there. What happened to him? How did he get to this spot? It tells us in verse 3, it says that the prosperity and the flourishing of the faithless. But he is watching people around him with no regards for God. And, and these people were striving and doing great. They were being blessed. While he is being faithful and he was, he was working towards the Lord and, and it wasn't taking place for him. And this is exactly how doubt really creeps in. It springs forth in this way that we experience something in our life that we feel like at the time contradicts the word of God. 
So you read that God is good, but, but yet evil is all around us? Or, or, or you read that God will provide for his children, but you look at your bank account and you go, it's empty. How does this take place then, right? I don't have a future. I don't, I don't see the next steps. Or, or you read God is the healer and the protector, but you have loved ones right now that are suffering and dying. And doubt begins to kind of happen because you experience something that contradicts the word of God that you hear proclaimed every Sunday here. And you start having to work through those things. And what we're seeing in the text this is making him doubt. What's making him doubt in God the most, the life of the unbeliever is flourishing all around him. And I'm sure we have all had this before in our life. That good things happen to bad people and it's, or, and it's right there in, flur, in front of us. They're flourishing. They're doing well. They're, they're cutting corners and they're getting the promotion. They're, they're, everything's happening that you're going, how can the rest of the world not see that? And he continues to flourish. And this is what's making this man stumble. The prosperity of those that do not submit or believe in this king. And he's going, does God really care? Does he really see me? Does he, does he really understand my needs? Especially when hard days come. When you're struggling with health or, or loneliness or infertility. But you look at others all around you and, and, and you go, how is everyone being blessed? And I am I am in the midst of, of despair. Those who rebel against God. You've had this same encounter. You've struggled with these same things. It should strike a chord with you and I. And what tends to happen is we end up looking to the heavens and, heavens and we say, God, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. I thought you were my father, the one that cares for me, the one that is good. The one that can be trusted. But where are you? And that doubt starts creeping in and it sneaks into our hearts. And even if you're not brave enough to say it out loud, there's something in you that goes, is he good? Can he, can he really be trusted? Can he be trusted with my most prized possession? Can he be trusted with my children? I'm okay with giving them my heart, but man, I'm not okay with giving them this. Can he be good in the midst of that? So he must, we must wrestle with this. As people of the church, as people of God, we must be okay with saying, hey, doubt will creep in, and, 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 and that is okay, but what takes place here? Verse 12 and 13 says, look at them. He's still raging with anger. Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease. They, they increase their wealth. That I've purified my heart and washed my hands in innocence for nothing. Because I have been faithful to you, God. And nothing is what I get in return. Nothing. 
And some of y'all have experienced this um, from afar. Maybe you watch this on TV or in Facebook news or whatever you got going on, and you see that bad things are happening to good people, and, it, and there's a check in your spirit that goes, God, what's going on there? And some of y'all have experienced this firsthand, or all of us to an extent, right, where we look at this and we go, man, God, what is taking place? I've experienced a child being sick or cancer that comes. And it feels like it's taking you out and your heart continues to shout out, is God really for me? Is God really good? I had a, um, COVID right now is blowing up our little town right now. So if you don't want to come talk to me afterwards, we can stay at a distance. But it's really blowing this place up in our small community. And let me, let me tell you, as a body of believers, there has never been a better time for the church than right now in my lifetime. I'm 35. I'm, I know I look like a 20-year-old. But, like, it's never been a better spot. And so what we're doing right now is, man, we are just calling people, small towns, so we know who's, we, they're, they're posting it on Facebook. And so we call them and go, hey, um, you don't know us, or you, maybe you do, but we love you. We're going to bring you food today. We're going to care for you. What can we do? And, and these people that I'm calling are terrified. Multiple people in our town have, uh, have died, so it's kind of rocked our little town. And uh, this, this week, on Tuesday, I called a little girl named Chastity, and she is and it just, just bawling her eyes out, and she's crying. And um, she has multiple family members right now on a vent, and so um, she's in pain. And her, her question to me is, um, do I need to be baptized, Peyton? I, I, I don't have anything right now that I can hang on to besides I think maybe God's good, even though I have my family that is struggling right now. Um, I need to get baptized. And I asked her, I said, Chastity, are you, are you asking this question because you're scared that you're going to die this week? And she goes, yes, I am. And so uh, this beautiful opportunity of the gospel right then and there. Chastity, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you who he is to you. Let me tell you that he sees you. Let me tell you that he understands your pain. We'll baptize you when it's over. Let's do this. There's this opportunity that we have in the midst of despair around us to proclaim that he is good. They're in desperate need all around us. And it's always been like that, but right now you actually feel the weight of it. And they're asking the question, is he good? I remember I was 22 um, in, in college, and um, the Lord was getting a hold of my heart, and I had a 30-year-old um, law student at the time, which I thought was the oldest man alive. And he was a law student, and he didn't love Jesus. He was open about that. He, he was all against it, and I was like, I got you, dude. Let's do this. And I'm telling you, this man ate me alive. I mean, he just ate me alive. I, I mean, I, I didn't have rebuttals. I didn't have anything for this guy. And at one po- moment, I thought I was really going to go after him and get him. And the next moment, I'm like, are you good, God? Right? One of his things that he wanted, he goes, hey, Paul struck, um, um, no, God struck Paul down. Can, why can he not do this to me? Why can he not knock me off the horse, right? And then blind me and then I'm in. And it seemed legitimate at the time for me. I was like, that's, that is, that's a legitimate request. So I went home, hit my knees. God, man, strike this dude off his high horse, right? Go get him. You can do it. I believe you can. I know you, you're faithful. I got you. And I prayed and prayed and it never happened. And I started asking the question, God, do I love this man more than you do? 
Like, doubt can creep in in all directions. And, and then, once again, those are legit questions that we should wrestle with and work through. And what we see here is this author, Asaph, he is at the bottom of it all. And he's asking these questions. And he's going, God, are, are you for real? Are you going to show up ever? In verse 16, it says, When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered to God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. He's stuck in doubt. He's stuck in the midst of it, and he finally makes the turn, and he goes, man, I want to sit with you, God. He wants to sit with the Lord. This is what it looks like, and this is the turning point of the sermon, but the turning point of the scriptures, what it looks like, what happens to you and I, how we work through doubt and pain and heartache in the midst of that. We go and we go sit with the Lord. If you're in this season right now, great job. You're, you're in the church. You're around believers, people that have walked through those same things as well. My counsel is to stay with us. You're not alone. There's multiple people in here that are struggling today, and there's all of us in here that have wrestled through this and will continue to have to wrestle through this. You're not alone. In the Old Testament, God had a designated place. He would dwell in this specific, um, this specific area. And God was everywhere, but this was the place that he chose that his people would come to, and he would reside in these special ways. The sanctuary is where God's people would gather together. They would hear the word of God proclaimed and spoken. At this time, people in Israel would, um, would come together. They didn't have uh, the scriptures. And so someone would, would testify and read the manuscripts and, and talk about the Lord. And they would sing praises and they would worship together. Some spots in the calendar, they would come together and they would sacrifice an animal and, and they would see a representation of their sin right before them laid out. They would see the cost of their sins. And this looks a lot like you and I um, today. That we come together, we worship with one another, we hear the word of God being proclaimed and spoken over us and, and we, we proclaim that he is good. We remember our sins. We take communion together to, to hear the cost of what it was that Jesus did for you and I. The huge difference is the manuscripts had to stay with them, but you and I get to take the very word of God home with us. The very word of God that's being proclaimed to us, that we get to take it home and have this interaction with our Heavenly Father. So Asaph, he didn't, he didn't need, in the text, verse 16, he didn't need another perspective. He didn't need an excuse of what was taking place. He needed to go sit with the Lord, interaction with God himself. And he needed a, to cast all of his doubt before God and have God restore him. And you will see his heart starts to change. There's a pivot in the whole Psalms that he starts to worship God and give his doubt to the Heavenly Father. And hear me, man, this is a great thing for you and I to hear. 
If the Psalm 73 said, hey, Asaph had a special relationship and he kind of went into a secret room and God met him, then guess what? Once again, you're like my lawyer friend that's going, God, I'm going to twiddle my thumbs and wait on you. You keep meeting all these people and kicking them off the horse and blinding them and meet, I'm going to wait on you now. But that, that's not what takes place and praise God, it isn't. That Asa actually starts meeting him in the everyday, the everyday joys of following Jesus. The everyday joys of picking up your cross and walking with the Lord. But he walks in the sanctuary defeated and doubting. And you can walk out with newfound faith. And my prayer today is some of y'all in here, that you walk in, that there is a, there's a season that you're in and there's doubt there. And you walk out with this newfound faith that the Lord has provided for you. That he is good and he meets you in this season. When we come to worship each Sunday, we gather as saints and worship. And we're encouraging our hearts together. We're encouraging one another uh, that these seasons of doubt that the Lord will sustain us. Mark 4, you see this beautiful picture of an of a, of a, of a earthly father that runs up to Jesus and goes, man, would you heal, would you heal my, my kid? And he, Jesus goes, all things are possible for those who believe. And, and his response is, I believe. But would you help my unbelief? And this is, Mark 4 has been so good to my soul in the last seven years of following Jesus and planting church. It's been so good for my soul to go, Lord, I am all in. And would you help this brokenness that still dwells in me? This is the invitation to a loving father. That God's love is unbreakable. But we understand there's a punishment for that sin as well. Verse 17, it says, Until I entered to God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become desolate. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one walking from a dream. Lord, when you arise, you'll despise their image. When I become embittered and the innermost being was wounded. I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinkable animal towards you. What's happening to, to him here is he's seeing the bigger picture all of a sudden. That those who reject God, that the, those who, who have, are, that reject God, that are prosperous now, that there is a bigger understanding of what's going to take place. And he remembers there is not one moment of sin that God does not notice. There's not one sin of you and I that he doesn't already see and understand. And he knows that every man, woman, and child will stand before the judgment seat of our Heavenly Father. And the beauty of what, of, of what crawling out of despair does in, in worshiping, even in the midst of doubt, worshiping in the midst of, of hard time, is it starts to place your center of gravity again. You see him, he takes a harder look at himself all of a sudden. At one point, he's beating his chest going, I follow you, I do this, and look at the rest of the people that you're, you're blessing. 
Now all of a sudden there's a pivot where he starts worshiping Jesus and he goes, oh, I'm the bitter one. I'm the broken one here. And even in my bitterness towards them, I'm spitting in your face, God. And he ends it with, I was like an unthinkable animal. I was, I was crazy. What happens when you worship God, when you, you start to see a clearer picture of your sin and his holiness, his great grace towards you. You start getting this picture of who he is. That Jesus, that he actually came and he actually died on the cross. Not just for a bunch of random people and everything, but he he actually came for you. In the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your rejection, in the midst of your years of rebellion or whatever it is, or in the midst of, of you spitting on his face because you think you deserve something that he's never promised you because everybody else is doing better than you. In the midst of all of that, you start to get a better understanding of who you are and who he is. And that this, this sin that he bore on the cross was your sin. It was my sin. Not the neighbor's sin, but he knew us and loved us and cared for us and cherished us. And his grace was sufficient for us. In the midst, he takes our sin and endures our shame and our punishment on the cross. And by his wounds we are healed. You start to read that and see the gospel as this message is for me. That this Jesus heals me. This great exchange was for the brokenness in me. You start to get a better picture of God's righteousness and his perfection and his holiness. And you and I don't walk into the church anymore beating our chest like we are doing something. Like, God, you need to, I got you in my debt now, Lord, because look what I've done this week. But a posture of humility, knowing our brokenness and our sin, even though it's behind closed doors compared to someone else's. This leads you and I to authentic and real worship. That we're not scared of doubt anymore. That we can work through doubt and we can find the Lord to be good and faithful in the midst of it. This is Asaph. He's experiencing God face to face. And his response is worship. So worship gives you a clearer image of who you are and who God is. The second thing worship does, it reminds you of God's love is unbreakable. Verse 22, I was an unthinkable animal towards you, yet I am always with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me up in glory. He realized that the the bottom of all his doubt was sin. And God never left him. That he realizes that he was not uh, just complaining about all those other sinners, but he is the sinner himself. And God loved him. Third thing worship did for him was it made him realize God was his portion. Verse 25, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. 
How do you overcome envy? Does it say in the text he just simply worked his way out of it and just simply changed? But he thought, hey, how I'll overcome this is I will go out and satisfy my needs with, with more things or more items or whatever I want. That's not what it says. He says he found something that will satisfy him completely. He rested in the idea that this, this God that we serve is enough is enough to, to, to satisfy his longings and his joy in the midst of the mountaintops and in the midst of despair. That's what we see play out in front of us. You need to hear this, that this God, this morning, this Jesus is our only treasure in life. Our only treasure in life and, and nothing else is needed when you find this Jesus. That at your worst, at your weakest, God's strength is unfazed, unmatched. And his love is, it can't be compared to anything else. He's a faithful God that will meet us. When we have days of doubt, don't deny it. Don't sit and just do in it. But come to worship. Come to church. Get around believers. Join community groups. Let people point you back to Jesus. Press in. And you'll find this loving Savior with open arms, unmatched, His grace, unparalleled. Redeemer, uh, Redeemer Midland has made a video that is one of your own, one of your people that is in the midst of season of doubt, in the midst of season of despair. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to start that video. But I'm going to ask God, though he'd meet us in the midst of this, all right? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good, Lord. You are so good to give us the scriptures, the very word of God that, that is so powerful that we can watch firsthand account of saints before us that are in the midst of seasons of doubt. And Lord, I'd be a fool to think there's not people in here in seasons of doubt. Lord, right now, I ask the Holy Spirit press in on them so much that they feel like they're the only one in the room and they would walk out of here knowing that their God met them and changed them. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you use other believers in this room to encourage them as they walk out to meet them or the body of believers would we gather together would you use us as a testament to your glory and your majesty? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.